you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the Library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for Person of Interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative, Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? I I am covered in mosquito bites. Um, <laughs> but other than that, good. I made the I made the dubious decision to build a raised bed on Saturday afternoon, which is good because now I have another raised bed in my backyard, and that's exciting. However, over the course of the last 10 minutes of that, I got approximately 30 mosquito bites on each leg. I am literally not exaggerating. I counted. I'm assuming a raised bed is a nature thing. It's it's where you you have a like bed that you put dirt in, and then you put plants in there. Like a mattress? Yes. No, it's... it's a- <laughs> It's a mattress for plants. <laughs> Not actually. It's it's basically like you don't have to bend over as much for like weeding. And it means oh, okay. that if your dirt in your soil in your yard is like ours, 98% clay, um, you can put other things in the raised bed that actually plants thrive oh, in. It's one, of, it's one of those boxes that I see like yeah, 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 yeah. growing vegetables in uh, when I watch TV. Yes. Okay. I'm on board. Yeah. I'll send you photos. Cool. Uh, I, on the other hand, am uh, okay. Tired. Okay. Okay. Uh, I am currently prepping episode 50 of Atherbeth. God damn. Congrats. Thank you. And uh, I have been writing that outline and trying to get some stuff together. And uh, it was causing me a bit of anxiety. Uh, But I finally got a good, like theme and stuff for it so i'm feeling good about it now it's more impressive that i got to 50 episodes if you know it's a monthly podcast yes not weekly yeah it is very impressive (laughs) and it took Um, a lot longer to get to 50 than this garbage podcast did (laughs) that took us a year um less than a year in fact yeah on on my fun note uh jude i want to show you the fandom t-shirt i found while cleaning my uh closet oh hit me oh dope um, it is a Hold on, no, show diet. me that again. Nice, nice. <laughs> I have to send that to Christine. It's a Luke's Diner t-shirt from Gilmore Girls because this is an audio format. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're good. Man, we're super good at this radio thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple of years ago when I had surgery, I I spent like a week convalescing at my parents' house and like recovering. And I think I just sort of kind of stole this shirt and uh, no one's ever called me for it back. And uh, they don't listen. Uh, my my parents don't listen to this podcast. So um, <laughs> guess what? Still mine. No one's ever asked where it went. <laughs> and possession is nine tenths of the law. 
We are covering three episodes tonight. No, we're covering two episodes and a turd that yeah. is masquerading <laughs> as an episode. Well, speaking of that, our first episode is season two, episode three, Masquerade, written by Melissa Scrivener Love and directed by Jeffrey G. Hunt. I am the king of transitions now. That was well done. Also, I want to, I think it's hilarious that this, the, the writer's name is Scrivener Love. <laughs> like, that feels yeah. like, it almost feels like a pseudonym for somebody that's done a lot of NaNoWriMo. <laughs> uh, I'm having just like I'm laughing but there's just like Vietnam flashbacks going <laughs> before my eyes alright so our number is Sophia Campos the daughter of a Brazilian diplomat while Sophia seems to be a rich party girl at first through John covering for her she develops some trust in him and it's determined that she's actually a pretty decent gal as it turns out it's not her father's political connections that are the problem, but her and her friend Gabby, who are witnesses to a murder. <laughs> Their perpetrator is a mafia guy named Monty, who killed a club promoter named Paul Romano on the orders of their bankroller. Sophia's boyfriend, Jack, Monty takes Sophia hostage and is through some demolition derby driving that Carter is able to take down Monty and they're able to arrest him and Jack. Our B-plot involves Fusco and Carter investigating Corwin's death. And who does she run into the morgue but Mark Snow? What the fuck? <laughs> um, it turns out that someone's been at Corwin's body digging something out of her shoulder. Um, that someone is the Irish Terminator Hirsch, who was behind it all. In an ending scene, we find out that Mark Snow is now working for Kara Stanton. Undress, it turns out, as he's wearing a bomb vest. That was very succinct. Yeah, yeah very succinct. Uh, and you also skipped over, like, the best part of this episode. Which is well, that means that we can all discuss it now. Yeah, Yeah. which is that the main like plot of this episode is largely forgettable. Um, Don't get me wrong; the number is fine; she's fine. But the all the stuff with Harold and Bear is what makes this episode worth watching. Yeah, that's not the actual like. There's there's no the the character dynamic of this episode is Harold learning to learning to live with a dog. Yeah. Um, Yes. So. Every parent couple has one parent who is the one who's who like wants to get the dog and one who is like begrudgingly like, fine, we'll, we'll do this. I'm, I, I don't love it, but we're, this is going to happen, I guess. And that is always the parent that is going to be the most ride or die for that animal. <laughs> and that is, it turns out, Harold. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. adorable. Uh, I love watching over these next few episodes, uh, watching Harold's relationship with Bear develop. It's so good. That's the best part of this episode for me. Although I do like any episode where we get to see Fusco go to work. Yeah. I also really like an opportunity for John to be professional and competent in front of people. Yeah. Because normally he only gets to show off like in front of the number. It's just different when he gets to like actually be good at what he at what at his job like he actually gets to be good at something so like like, he would actually be really good at being this person's bodyguard well i mean he's basically like everybody's bodyguard when they need it uh but yeah the wallet gag where he he like proves he's the best bodyguard by lifting everybody else's wallet in the room (laughs) oh that's so so good is such a nice touch and i also like that he just is completely uh, unflappable when it comes to her. 
It's very good. I think the the reason this episode works for me and the reason I like it so much is that it it feels like you're going to get a very specific dynamic at first with like the like the bodyguard and the mean girl. Yeah. But as it turns out, it's just like she's actually a nice person. She just like feels really restricted. And there's if this like I think if it were like any other show, there would be a weird romance thing. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's not. Instead he's like he like makes her her favorite food and like it's adorable. He, yeah, and he goes dad mode instead of yeah, like yeah. inappropriate romance mode, which is very good. It's just a really fantastic episode overall. Like, you know, even though even though the number plot is like not relevant to the overall plot I, I still think that it's honestly one of the more solid ones we've had in terms of just random number of the week yeah yeah it's it's very like it's popcorny like there's not a lot of calories here but it's still fun and enjoyable yeah there's yeah. a couple of different kinds of number of the week plots as we've discussed there's the ones that are well enough done that they're satisfying because they give you character moments and they let the show breathe a little bit and then there's yeah. the ones that are just dumb they're just generic or they they don't let me rephrase that there are numbers of the week that could be on any show and there are numbers of the week that feel like person of interest numbers of the week do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and this is one that feels like it's it fits particularly well on person of interest because there are little things that it does that make it feel like a, a person of interest generic procedural bit Whereas another episode, which we're going to discuss shortly, does not have that characteristic uh, to its detriment. <laughs> this episode, there's, it's got a lot of great choreography and it's got like so many good little little bits. Like we've got, you know, all the times in season one where Harold was listening in on a mic and John would like, you know, drop some sort of like yeah you know, snarky comment about how like his boss is like mean and et cetera, et cetera, uh, yeah. which is always hilarious. And this one instead, like he's just dropping the like that you know compliments to Harold, and it's just like oh yeah, he knows Harold's been through some shit, and he's trying to be nice. Yeah, yeah. I think in general, this is not an episode that has a lot going on, but but it has a lot of. What it does have going on is nice. Yeah. It is not an episode that moves any part of the plot forward. I think it it does. I like it's Harold's plot. Like it's Harold's character. But except for except for Harold, Harold and Bear's characterization. Yeah. And and I think having the lower stakes number plot gives it like the space to deal with Harold's emotional state right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think something that's really neat is we get to see all three other members of the team check in on Harold at some point in this episode. Yeah. And they all have they all have different ways of their own of like doing a like John is very like I'm going to give you time but we are going to have a talk. And we're, and we're 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 like we're going to go grab a drink. And also I got you a dog. Yeah. And like Carter, Carter is Carter's a little bit more direct, and like, but and Fusco does it in a very like uh, Fusco way. Yeah, of like I, I'm too much of a of a guy to talk about this stuff, but you know you're good, right? <laughs> My favorite single shot of this episode is like it's midway through the episode 
But Harold picking up the dog bed and, and moving it closer to the desk. Yeah. Because I'm like, I've been there. I've seen that person. That is the moment of surrender. That dog <laughs> is yours for life now. Yeah. Along with the, like, casually tossing the tennis ball down the hall. And then Harold just being like, oh, wait, wait, this is fun. This is fun <laughs> for both of us. That dog loves that ball. I have a dog. My dog, Siri loves the ball and that like full body if i could propel myself with any other part of my body i would towards the ball leap <laughs> that that dog does is extremely familiar i don't i have a you know she's a border collie mutt and that's a purebred belgian malinois or whatever it's called they run very differently but when they're launching for the ball it's the exact same ungainly scramble and I love seeing that. Yeah. Uh, I I really love, I mean, I love Bear all the time, but uh, Bear is so good in this episode because the way that he's like, I love the way that he's sort of just attending on Harold as well, that he's like, you know, clued into his emotional state and is just sort of like, Bear seems to be trying to be there and like being loving in, you know, to the extent that his little dog brain can yeah. handle. The the shots they get of Bear, like, looking up at Harold over his cross paws is yeah. fantastic. Oh, Bear. Good app. Yeah. Like you said, not a super heavyweight app, but a good app. Lots uh, with good stuff going on. Uh, it's got some good choreography, too. Like, the, the fight scene in the club. Although that should have a warning for photosensitive viewers, I think. And and the, like, framing as John is dangling the schmuck boyfriend over the building, like, legitimately gives me vertigo when I'm watching it on my phone screen, which I feel like is kind of yeah. impressive. I Okay. I The background for this. Okay. Have y'all seen White Collar? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So you're over in season two when like, gosh, what's her name? The wife is like, wasn't available for shooting. So they had her shooting in front of a yes. green screen. Oh for my like God. The entire yes. Season. Yes. And yes. It was yes. Obvious thing. For me, it's I that. I forgot about that. And they're, and they're like compositing like her green screen in with like, it's just so bad. It, it's like, and it's like, this is the most green screened stereotyped San Francisco background you possibly could put in. Yeah. And it, like that, the background for that shot giving me that vibe. That's funny. <laughs> oh, I do have one question about this. Do you think Mark Snow ever gets to take the Bob vest off to like shower? No. Or, no. Is, he, or is he just no. the stinkiest boy? Uh, I think Kara probably takes an inordinate amount of pleasure out of making him live like a filthy little troll in that basement dungeon, smelling of BO and electronics and gunpowder. I'm thinking that if he's that smelly, though, it might interfere with his like ability to do subterfuge. I just imagine so she tosses a package of wet wipes in there every once in a while. <laughs> or like, I'm imagining also like. He's generally not allowed to shower except for, like, before he's going to be sent out to do something, at which point he, like, I can imagine him just, like, showering with her, just, like, sitting there in a 
chair watching him with a gun trained on him. <laughs> or she just takes takes like a, a hose to him in a corner. <laughs> I hate this. I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> you don't like picturing Mark Snow cowering in a corner while he's hosed off by Kara? I'm sure that's someone's fetish. It's not mine. <laughs> Let's reluctantly move on to episode two. Speaking of film. Episode four. Yeah. Speaking of not the fun kind of filth. Episode four of season two is called Trigger Man. It is written, if you can call it that, by Eric Mountain and directed by James Whitmore Jr. I am very glad that Jonathan Tucker went on to do other better things than his role as this episode's number, because I would hate for this dumb episode to be his legacy. He's an unusual looking guy. He's very distinctive looking, not unusual like the elephant man, but like distinctive. He's memorable. And if this was all he'd ever done, if he had never, if all he had ever done was like middle range TV, he would be chiefly remembered as for for this godforsaken episode. And thankfully he went on and did other things. He did Westworld and he's reasonably accomplished in television. And this one godforsaken episode of person of interest is not how he'll be. <laughs> For whatever reason, Jonathan Nolan saw this episode and said, yeah, I want to hire this guy again and good for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tucker plays Riley Cavanaugh, an Irish gang enforcer who has fallen in love with the widow of a man. He killed on behalf of his boss, a homeless person that people have mistaken as a, mob boss named George Massey. Uh, When his boss gets suspicious, he's forced to kill the guy's son and then takes the widow on the run. He ends up giving his life to save hers, but it requires the intervention of Elias to shut down the gang leader's bounty of $1 million. Uh, He also shoots John at one point, I think. I don't know. I blocked most of this episode from my memory. Uh, and I refused to watch it, so I did most of the summary based on my fragments of memory and summaries I found online. You're, you're about right. The Price of Elias's Help is a game of chess from Finch. Uh, there's also another bounty. There's also like another, there's a bounty hunter guy that John shoots. So what happens is the bounty hunter who goes against Elias and actually picks up the girlfriend and takes, that's him, right. takes her to Massey. John at the end pays him a visit. Yes, that's right. That you know, is I'm, I'm like, I'm like, did he ignore Elias's warning or did he just like not get the text message in time telling him that the job uh, is off? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of things that are bad about this episode, <laughs> starting with the fact that uh the guy they got to play George Mas- Massey does in fact look like they rolled a bum off of the streets of Los Angeles. He's like, okay, into what he the is, episode. is he is from a different genre of gangster film. Yeah. He is from the departed when the rest of, when everybody else here is living in the Godfather. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. He, he looks like a homeless person. He, he has that like, I mean, have you seen Jack Nicholson's character in the, the departed? Yeah, but Jack Nicholson's character in The Departed looks like he knows how to put clothes on. George Massey legitimately, legitimately looks like somebody held out a bottle of whiskey like a carrot and talked him through how to put a t-shirt on. Like, he looks, it's rough. I don't understand what, what, what they were going for with this character. 
it's just a weird. Th- and then his like the character of his son looks like some kind of like Jersey fuckboy, and it's it's all over the place. It's all over the place. Nothing about anyone in this episode s- screams Irish. Um, I don't know. Like George Massey has a certain like I like like. I think the characters here like do they do fit like an Irish gangster stereotype, but it's not like yeah. a particularly memorable one. Because I keep thinking of like Nate Ford from Leverage's father mm-hmm. slightly, but like on a really really bad day. The the thing that really dooms this episode is that they have so much of this like cat and mouse running from the law thing that the episode starts with like Massey and the girlfriend verbally sparring annie well no they do an exposition dump for two and a half minutes yeah yeah of like i hate you because of this reason i hate you because of this reason and they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and it's just like it's done because i guess we just wanted to move on to the the running away part and it's yeah this episode tries to sell us on the idea of that Root's idea of bad code yeah, is applicable only to machines and that people are uh, people like that people can change. I believe that the show is not doing a great job on selling <laughs> me on that. Yeah. <laughs> because I just want to watch this dude die. Yeah. And I, I hate that. Like, it's like, I, I think in, in, in like, in the grand scheme of things, if you say like, Hitman like grows a conscience, runs away with with the widow of a guy he killed. Like, I don't know. You could do a decent romance plot off that. I've read worse. I've read worse premises for a romance novel, but the execution here is just terrible. It's just bad. Yeah, it's just yeah. I mean, it's not like there's no specific one failure point of this episode. It's yeah. It's. Top to bottom, just poorly executed. Well, yeah. except for one thing, which I, I will. Oh, it's that it's is it the most homoerotic prison activity you could possibly do? Chess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because that's, the yeah, that's not bad. the The meeting of um, Harold and Elias is is really. I thought that that was pretty solid, oh, and yeah. like that you could just snip that out and have that be like a short film and it would be good. Yeah. I mean, I have a suspicion that that Jonathan Nolan put that in the episode, not Eric mountain. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's not as good. Like does some re- decently good stuff. Like here. what? Uh, no, I'm, I, I should be so scornful. I have no fucking clue. I, he's I done just... a couple episodes before that. We haven't shit on. Uh, really? Let me find him. <laughs> let me find him. Eric mountain, redeem thyself. He did 32 episodes. He did Root Cause. He did Root Cause. Okay. All right. Fine. Everybody has a bad day, I guess. Yeah. I guess. I'm wondering, like, maybe it's partly the director. Like, maybe it's just, like, maybe there's something here between, like, I think we've seen Jeffrey G. Hunt's. Maybe it was just, for some reason here, maybe maybe it was just, like, something wasn't executed well. Maybe this was maybe this was originally supposed to be like about the five families and they couldn't get guest actors correctly. Yeah, it could yeah. Be. and I think it does go back. I mean, and that's a fair point. I think it does go to the fact that it's not that any one thing about this episode is egregious. It's just nothing works, which may be down to the director or it may be that it came together at a late date and it needed more tuning. 
Uh, so maybe it may be that it's not by, it's not all on Eric Mountain. Um, it's just a poor episode. I would say an amount of confidence because I, I think there are like one or two episodes where the subject matter just turns me off completely. I can't remember which ones, but I think there's like one or two of them that do in later seasons. But this is just overall a bottom five episode for me. Yeah, yeah. Same. it's been a while since I've watched the le- like the later seasons, and I'm sure there's going to be one or two where I'm just like, I don't like this. But this, yeah. is, this is this is the most memorably bad one. <laughs> It's, this is down there with the armored truck dude. Yeah, which, okay, weird thing. Both of them are about, like, a bad guy trying to run away. Both both numbers shoot John. Yeah, which, yeah. Um, I, I want to keep an eye out for this of which numbers shoot John in the future, because I think those are the only two so far. So I, far, but there, yeah. there will be another one that shoots John that Later breaks your, your pattern. Yeah. Do we need to say more about this or can we just please no. Hold on. I I think I um Well, I I I would like to compliment the the bounty hunter for being like nearly as good as John at causing a major distraction in a pinch. That looks, um, that was great, yeah. With setting the trash can on fire. <laughs> Valid. I mean, I just you want to say like bringing back to the the that chess scene has some like magneto xavier vibes oh yeah the, the chess scene is really good um and i really enjoyed like the fact that we we haven't seen those two characters interact in any way yet it's the first time they've ever met yeah yeah, yeah. and and seeing them interact with each other face to face even not not even like over the phone mm-hmm. um is that is genuinely an enjoyable part of the episode. Yeah. I mean, they're arguably, I don't even think arguably, I think it's, I think you can probably say with a, with a pretty high degree of confidence that they're the two best actors on the show. I, yeah, I'd say that. Yeah. And, and them playing off each other is just so much fun. Yeah. Them plus Amy Acker. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever they interact they're it's that Elias and Harold both know that they're playing a different game than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple characters who we 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 encounter with that people who have an extremely drawn back view of the picture. Elias, there's going to be a certain British person who yeah, humble mumble will, mumble mumble. Jo- Jonathan Nolan's uncle. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like you know, people who and eventually, I'd say you know, it's people who have like a very drawn back view and are playing a different game than the rest of the characters are playing. And whenever they interact, it's always fun. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Um, we have one last episode that we're covering tonight because we didn't want to leave you on a bad note. Uh, Anna, take us away. All right. So this one is Bury the Lead, written by David Slack and directed by Jeffrey G. Hunt. So this week's number is an investigative reporter named Maxine Angelis, who we first see engaged in some light blackmail to get information about illegal campaign contributions to the mayoral race. She's quickly distracted by a new lead, though. The FBI are taking out HR, uh, but don't yet have its head. Maxine gets a tip from a locked number pointing toward Christopher Zambrano, the son of the late mob boss. She confronts him. He denies any involvement, uh, but she runs the story on the newspaper website anyway, targeting him. Finch uncovers her other story in progress, an expose on the man in the suit, and tells Reese that they need a new strategy this time in order to get close to her. 
cut to Finch's strategy, which is to set up John on a date with Maxine. Various shenanigans ensue, including Zoe Morgan showing up as John's ex-lover to vouch for him. They realize that Maxine was, in fact, set up. Zambrano wasn't the boss. He was about to hand over crucial evidence that would identify the boss, and now he's dead. They meet with Zoe again, and she provides more information, and they get a hunch for where to look for the evidence. Once they find it, they end up in the middle of a firefight between two corrupt ex-FBI agents and Carter and Fusco. The detectives and John win the fight, and the other mayoral candidate is arrested the next day as head of HR. In the epilogue, Maxine breaks up with John because he's too hung up on Zoe, and Finch realizes that they likely arrested the wrong person and the head of HR is still out there, which is confirmed when we see Simmons meet with the real HR boss, the campaign manager for the mayoral candidate who's not in jail. Our B-plot involves Fusco, who's being threatened by Simmons, um, and is also concerned that he'll be in the next wave of arrests due to his involvement with HR. After John and Maxine find the evidence ledger, Fusco removes the pages for himself and Simmons before turning it in. And that's the episode. This is a weird episode. Not a bad one, but it's a weird one. I th- I like it for for what it is because it's uh it's dipping into this weird political thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Simmons not Simmons, the the head of HR is going to be a character that is like Yeah, along he's the a big character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's going to be a like a, a pretty pivotal character, so like his introduction here is is noteworthy. Yeah, I, I sort of love how it's like there. The the theme that sort of runs through this episode is that you know, the the politicians don't matter. It's the like the political gamers, um, yeah, like a Zoe uh, and Quinn or the campaign man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird episode. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about Maxine who is like feels like a very cliched like go-getter lady journalist willing to do whatever it takes to to get her story type of she thing. seems like a, a shitty lois lane ripoff yeah i mean yeah I, I personally like it i like i don't think ever like i don't think every number has to be super three-dimensional <laughs> yeah and i'm like Valid. i'm fine with this one being just like the, the reason she is in trouble is she's a good reporter who will do anything for a story. And honestly, I'm surprised there aren't more. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like the introduction of her, like, straight up blackmailing someone is kind of odd. But yeah. but I guess that leads to the, the ambiguity of, like, always the question of, is it is the person who the machines identified a victim or a perpetrator? Yeah. Yeah. It could be that she was engaged in some, you know, heavier duty blackmail, but that is quickly shown to be not the case. Yeah. And in this yeah. case, she is accidentally the perpetrator. Yeah. 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 Um, which is really interesting. Also, this episode gives us the, like, the the fake dating subplot, which is a joy. There, yeah. It's like, honestly, it's like, I, I like the idea that, like... Harold like constructs this elaborate backstory and John's entire thing is like, no, this is garbage. I'm just rolling with it. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna charm my way through this. And and Harold's just like, no, 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 no. And he actually does it pretty well. Like Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Bear saves the day though. Yeah, Bear, like the fact that it's like 
you know, she, like, yeah, what, once the dog is there, I mean, Bear is a magnet for all entities. <laughs> yeah. I love the squeaky toy, too. <laughs> squeaky oh toy. My God. That's yeah. Like, I'm like, every time I see this episode, I'm like. I feel that in my bones, all the way down to the the marrow in my bones. I feel that squeaky toy, those squeaky toy scenes. <laughs> like and John, like I'm sorry, I had a I heard a weird noise. What was that? Oh, it's nothing. <laughs> and then by the end of the episode, <laughs> Harold ripping the squeaky out of it, and I'm like, yeah. yep, been there. <laughs> yep. You yep. think the squeaky toy is a good idea, and then you realize, no, no, it's not. <laughs> that or yep. your dog. That or your dog is like the squeaky toy is now gone. Yeah. Oh man, I I have been and Bear there. loves it so much. Oh, you can tell that Harold like doesn't have the heart to take it away from him. Uh, this is this episode's got some really fun moments. Like it's got um, again some fun choreography with the like shootout on the moving carousel. Yeah, that that's a fun little set piece. Yeah, it is. And we also have Harold hiding in the closet at. <laughs> At John's apartment after delivering the dog. I love when it's hijinks. I love when they get John and and Finch up to hijinks. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're usually, the two of them are usually hyper competent. And anytime they put the two of them up to hijinks, I'm I'm loving it. As we will see uh, next, next week. When when you listen to our episode about uh, the suburban <laughs> episode, the suburban shenanigans, not just not just fake dating, but fake married. Yeah, uh, I love that. That's always a super entertaining plot line for me. We also we also do get a like follow up on back when you're recording the end of season one. We were like. Oh, and there's this big, you know, shootout thing and nobody ever remembers except that I guess that Simmons does in fact remember that Fosco is there and did in fact notice. Yep. Yep. And uh sucks for Fosco. I love like the uh, the the beginning scene where like Simmons Simmons just like appears in the back scene and he's just like, "Guess what, bitch?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, like, Simmons drops, like, two of the hardest lines of this show of, like, he, he reminds Fusco, uh, once you're in, you're never out. And then Fusco's like, yeah, whatever. But whatever you do, don't ever threaten my son again. And Simmons says, I'm not a threat to your son. You are. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah. Simmons just has, Simmons has this perfect, like, he, he doesn't physically like he's not a physically imposing person like relatively he's got crazy eyes like yeah yeah, and he's got like that like sort of like like bird of prey face where it's like he is like the dude doesn't look like he ever lifts but he looks like he would cannibalize someone (laughs) if that makes sense like he would eat a dude he would eat a dude he he has the he has the ability to put a casual propensity for violence on his face yeah the music at the end of this episode rocks i had to look for it it's a building steam with a grain of salt which is apparently from it is um from 1996 which is like huh (laughs) that's all 
relatively. Or, I don't know, feels old. There's some, like, I, I mean, we've talked about it before, but there's some, like, really fantastic music in this show. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it's one of those things that I, like, I would love to ask whoever was in charge of the music on this show to, like, just about that. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do what else do we have here? Zoe. Oh yeah. Oh Zoe appears and like Yeah. It's like Zoe, yeah, she's a friend of mine. Yeah, we spent <laughs> and Zoe is like, yeah, we spent two days fucking. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about that scene is is you're not entirely sure whether she's making it up or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she she slaps John on the ass too. Yeah, John's reaction to that whole scene is so genuine mm-hmm. that it's hard to tell whether he's worried about Zoe blowing the se- blowing him. Like, well, hold on, <laughs> blowing, like, blowing, yeah, not him. blowing it, or whether he's like legitimately uncomfortable with having his recent hookup crashing this dating situation. And then at the and then like later in the episode when Max is like, oh hey, I, I need to help from a friend of yours, and they they have a chat, and Zoe Zoe drops the, it was a pleasure meeting you, but it's a shame we never met, and I'm just like, oh oh yeah, what a queen <laughs> she just oh this show this show is just like it's do you like. Morally ambiguous, politically powerful, and competent women. Have we got a buffet? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Um, do we have anything else that we want to talk about here? I don't think so. These were... We are in the sort of... This this season came out like incandescent hot with the opener. Oh, yeah. And then it kind of cools off here for a little bit. And we're not done yet. Uh, we still have a little bit further to go before it starts to pick up steam again with the 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 plot episodes. Yeah, I mean we're, yeah, right now we're just in number territory and little sprinklings of Mark Snow plot. Yeah. It really yeah. is not till like the back third of season 2 where the train hits all speed no brakes and it never really slows down after that. These are these are with the exception of uh trigger man though these were some like solid enjoyable episodes yeah they're good episodes they're just they don't we don't get into at some point person of interest gets to a point where it's much more balanced between plot and numbers than it has been in season one and the top of season two here often it will even tilt more towards plot than numbers uh across the season and we'll get to that point soon. It's also interesting to think about this in the context of like this show would have aired kind of in that in that middle zone where things were still like where you would still watch an episode on TV at the designated time every week. Yeah. And I mean, part of that is also like it's getting the full 20 plus episode orders for seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like it's going to be like we we've, we've got a couple episodes but like once we get back to like episode 10 then shit gets real again. And yep. and it's just like I think it's also just like oh hey, we've got to put some stuff here and overall it's fine being a procedural show. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm not complaining. I'm just sort of commenting on the 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 balance 
and how it, it shifts over time. And season two is where I think you see the 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 shift most dramatically start to move. Mm-hmm. And this and the start of the season is still would still be an okay place to start if you hadn't watched the first season. Yeah. Um that I think yeah, we've got the reintroduction of Zoe here. We've got the reintroduction of Elias in yep. the last episode. And so it's from the era of TV where you'd be starting season two, hoping to catch new people who didn't see season one at all, but maybe heard about it from friends or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and I think it does pretty well at that. Yeah. You, you, you forget that network TV, structurally speaking, was a very different beast than streaming TV. Yeah. Um, because you couldn't assume that somebody picking up, you know, season two, episode one would have seen any of season one. Yeah. Yeah. Or would have the ability to. Yeah. Other than like buying the DVDs. Well, no, this was, this was, this was back when like everything was on Netflix. Like back before, back before, back before Netflix like pared its streaming library down. Yeah. Was it on Netflix? Yeah. Was it? Okay. Like, it, like I remember, I remember seeing stuff for that on Netflix as it was bef- years before I actually watched the show. Interesting. God, those were the days. Yeah. Everything was on Netflix. <laughs> remember, yeah. Dope. Remember when Netflix had like a robust library of shit that it licensed instead of, instead of firing off into the distance, hoping that you were going to watch some random thing it produced that wasn't drive to survive. Hey, that's, they have at least two other shows that are worth watching. Queer Eye Germany is also very good. Uh, all right. Well, I think we're done with this one. Let's uh, wrap this up and we'll move on. Yes. Uh, next time we are going to be covering episodes six and seven of season two, The High Road and Critical. Until next time, you are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike Nidoravis license. Another is the video drive, which has all the uh, wrestling pay-per-views on it. It's ported away. Uh, <laughs> but um, 